Well, we're in a series entitled Influence. Did you know the Lord wants you to have influence with your life? And I think every one of us would say that about our lives. We may not think of ourselves as a leader, but we'd like to be a good influence. Today in this series, I'm talking about faith and leading by faith. There have been some um, cool things that have happened around here because we have decided to believe and do what the Lord has called us to do. Several years ago, we felt the Lord was calling us to expand our ministries to start a Christian high school. We were going preschool through eighth grade. We followed the Lord, and we've seen some amazing things happening as we moved to a new campus, and facilities have risen up that could contain uh, the high school. Yesterday, we saw some of the results of the faithfulness. Uh, You know we won a state basketball championship uh, earlier this year, Amazingly, yesterday, our boys won the 3A state championship in track as well. Can you believe that? Isn't that amazing? Congratulations to Scott Olson. You know, you know the formula here? Find people who love Jesus, love kids, and know what they're doing with X's and O's and academic sports, whatever it may be. And it's been brought to bear where the Lord is glorifying his name. Now, whatever you think about, you know, the, 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 the schools here, you certainly have to admit it's been amazing what the Lord has done in the last few years. Now think of this. Not only is it the track team, but the soccer team, the girls made state this year for the first time, the girls' soccer team. The girls' softball team is going to state. The boys' baseball team beat two teams in the top five in state. They're headed to state. They'll play a game here Tuesday. We only have 135 kids in this high school. It is one of the smallest 3A schools in the state. We're playing two levels up because we petitioned to play up. And splitting the gene pool two different ways with, with two sports and 135, I can't even believe what's, what's happening. And, and you say, well, why is all that happening? It's just sports. And here's the deal. When we started this high school, we have said, and we still mean it, that the sole purpose of this, the main purpose, is to glorify God. When God spoke to me years ago, what he said is, I want to build a great high school to glorify my name. He didn't even say the kids were primary. He said to glorify his name. Now, It glorifies him when kids are saved. That's happening in the high schools and the schools all throughout. It glorifies him when lives are changed and and he comes into the hearts and lives of people. But when you follow faith, you know, every now and then, um, let me just talk to you. I'm not preaching yet. Uh, Every now and then people say, um, they'll introduce me as the person who, who, who founded the high school. This is how it happened. When the Lord first spoke to me and said those words, I, I, I pretty much didn't want to do it. I, I mean, I said to God, I don't know anything about high school, and he can read my heart, and he knew I was saying, are you sure? That's a lot of time and a lot of trouble. And, but, he, but here's what I believe about my life, and I believe it about your life too. We are not supposed to live our lives doing just what we want to do. We are servants of the Lord. And we don't understand the dynamics of what the Lord wants to do. But when we follow the Lord in the things he says, he glorifies his name. And we're seeing some of that. Hebrews 10, 38 says, those who are right with me will live by faith. So when he speaks, we go. But if they turn back with fear, he says, I will not be pleased with them. Let's pray. We're gonna talk about walking that out, that faith today. Jesus, thank you so much for your truth that sets us free. Thank you, Father God, that you lead us and guide us to things that, uh, that are your will for your purposes, and we're just involved in a great adventure that becomes wonderful. Lord, would you speak to people today about the adventure you want them on? 
Would you let the faith that we speak of rise up in their hearts so that they may believe you for the great things you're calling them to? Let it be, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Three things I want to talk to you about when it comes to leading by faith, that influence that comes when we walk in faith. The first is this, be faithful with your life. You are not going to make any impact and your faith won't matter hardly at all if you don't live faithfully before the Lord. How do I know that? Look at the lives of the politicians. Again, this week, there's another one who was unfaithful to his wife. He's going to step back from his office and let someone else be elected because he's not electable anymore. He's going to lose his family as so many have before. It doesn't have to happen, but when we're unfaithful to the Lord and to people, we lose influence and we lose out on what God has for us. If you want to have an impact in your life and be a good influence on your kids, on your coworkers, on the people around you, the people in the community, the people in the world, you have to be faithful. Here's what it says in Proverbs 11.3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. I love that word, duplicity. It means, uh, it means that they're saying one thing, but it's incongruent with the way they're living. They're, 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 it's, it maybe is, isn't even hypocrisy in the, in the mind of that person, though ultimately it is, because they may want to do it. But when you say one thing with your mouth publicly and you live another thing privately, it is just damage and destruction that's going to come. The Bible says that which is secret will eventually be revealed. And these things are true. I didn't mention this in the first service. I'm feeling compelled to mention it now. I used that scripture and talked about duplicity 20 years ago in a service where there was some youth in, in another city in another place. And um, someone came to me who wasn't living right and shared with me for the first time that they weren't living right. And I remember meeting with that person and their wife later. And feeling the pain and the destruction that came out of all that sin that had been hidden. And when we live in a duplistic way, we're going to have a result that is damaging. That which is secret will be revealed. You reap what you sow. A little girl went to the fair with her daddy and she ran up to the cotton candy machine and came back with this huge, big old cotton candy. And her dad said, sweetheart, are you sure you can eat all that? She said, don't worry, dad. I'm a lot bigger on the inside than the outside. And really, when it comes to character, that's the way God wants us to be. Bigger on the inside than the outside. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about growing in Christ is we can get better and better all the time. We'll never reach perfection, but we can look more and more beautiful to the Lord. And you know what? Our bodies don't go that way uh, as, as we age. It's harder and harder to look good on the outside, but we can continually look good on the inside and we can be beautiful in the sight of God and to the people that we come in contact with. Proverbs 10, 9 says, the man of integrity walks securely. But he who takes crooked paths will be found out. John Maxwell says, talent is a gift, but character is a choice. And I would add to that, your character will make a lot more difference in your life than your talent will. As a matter of fact, your talent will, will, will be spoiled and squandered before the Lord if your character can't back it up. It's the way we live that impacts people. God-given gifts are just things, if you play well and sing well or speak well or do business well, those are all God-given gifts that he's just bestowed upon you. You didn't do it, he did it. 
You, you can lean into it and get better at the things he's put in you, but he put it there. But our character, our character is completely up to us. Will we do the right thing? You say, well, how do we make sure? We get in the word and we read it every day. We apply it to our hearts. We get in accountability groups, like, like life groups and shepherding groups. And we, we, we walk with people and we stay connected and we're willing to tell our brothers and sisters when, we, when we're having thoughts that are wrong and we pray together and we stay on the right path because it's important to us. Take hold of it. It's your life. You're the one who determines whether you're gonna be faithful and have a character. Psalm 34, verse three says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean, clean hands and a pure heart. God loves purity. God works through character in our lives. It, 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 our lives become impactful when we live them towards him with the heart to be faithful, faithful to him. I think of a man named Earl. He was a young man who committed his life to follow the Lord and he went to Southern California College, eventually now known as Vanguard. That's where he met his wife, Dorothy. From the early days, Earl felt that he was called to be a missionary. He wanted to, he, he wanted to follow the Lord in a foreign land. And I don't know the complete details, but I do know that Earl was denied in that process because of a physical issue. And he, he wasn't allowed to go. He ended up becoming a pastor in a small church in a small community here in Oregon. Eventually became a pastor in a town named Albany, Oregon. And he pastored there for 28 years. The church grew to become a substantially large congregation. And eventually, though Earl couldn't go to the foreign land to be a missionary, his heart was so strong towards missions, he raised that church up to be one of the greatest, and it still is, one of the greatest missions churches in America giving millions upon millions of dollars. I talked to someone after the first service and it was their pastor. They knew who I spoke of. And of course, some of you know him. He's gone now, but his name was Earl Book. They said he dedicated me when I was a baby. They said he made a difference in my family's life. I'm saying all this because Earl Book was a completely faithful man. 28 years, he built a big building with, as, as God was leading him on the outskirts of Albany. Some told him he was foolish because it was too far from the center of town. Everything smack dab around that now. It was the will of the Lord. And, and, and they filled up that building and they sent eventually, I, I'm just guessing, but I may be low. I think that since he started pastoring there till now, at least 100 people have come out of there that have been full-time missionaries or pastors. That's crazy. And, and this man followed the Lord and though he couldn't go to a foreign land, he sent people to foreign lands. He made a difference around the world from Albany, Oregon. He pioneered and planted several churches in that Albany area. <clears throat> I remember going to his funeral about seven or eight years ago. He's special to me because in the last few years of his life, when that, that were the, they were the first few years of my pastoring here at this church. And he met with me on a regular basis and he mentored me and he blessed my life. I went to that memorial service thinking that I was one of the few special ones that Earl had in his life. And I found out there were about a hundred of us that he met with. I have no idea how he did it as a senior citizen. Everybody seemed to feel that way about him because he believed in and invested in their lives and cared. 
What was really weird at the memorial service is right in the middle of the service, he was in a casket up front, you know. Uh, it wasn't just memorial, it was a funeral, I guess. And, and, and so his body was there, his spirit was in heaven. But in the middle of the service, his voice comes over the intercom, says, hello, everybody. They had taped it from the hospital three days earlier. He said, I just thought I, I would uh, ask one more time if you'd join me in something. I'd like us to take a missions offering today. Can we do that? So at the funeral, we take an offering for missions and everything in my wallet came out and, went in the, and everybody else and thousands of dollars for missions were raised and he was, he was dead, gone. But here's the thing, he's not, he's not really gone because his legacy lives on. It's living on in me and hundreds like me. See, that's the deal about a life that is faithful. It will go beyond the time you have on this earth. It will, it will do something that goes beyond what you ever could imagine. As it did with Earl Book. He was a faithful man of God and a man of faith. His life was very influential as a result. James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed. We're going to talk about Abraham a few times in this passage today because the Bible says that he's the father of our faith in the, in the sense that Christianity uh, it started as he followed God, a great nation, and Israel rise up, and eventually all of us were grafted in to follow Christ. Abraham was the one who started it all, the Bible says, in that sense of following God and that nation coming forward. Abraham believed God, it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Let me translate that for you. To come to Jesus, you have to have faith. But that's not necessarily being faithful. It is not just about having faith. It is about being faithful. Faithful has time, tenure, a season attached to it where you walk before the Lord and do the things that he's asked you to do. Go the directions that he's asked you to go. Abraham was about 100 years old. His wife was barren. And God spoke to him and said, a great nation is gonna come forth from you and your wife. It was laughable to them. How can we have a baby? But God uses the weak to confound the wise. God will go somewhere where you think it couldn't happen and do something great to show himself. And he started with them. And it says that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. It's not just what you believe, it's what you do. So we see here that it's not just faith, but faithfulness that God blesses. Look at these scriptures. These are really great scriptures. They're from the Old Testament, but they reveal a truth that I wish every believer knew. 1 Samuel 2.30, God said, I will honor those who honor me. What? In some special way, when you follow him and you honor him with your life, he'll show up to do more for you and through you. I will honor those who honor me. 2 Samuel 22, 26. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. Well, when does all that blessing stuff, that abundant life, when does it kick in? Some people say, well, it really isn't working for me. You know, I'm trying it, it's not working. Here's when it works. When you apply it to your life and you live it out, not just for a day, not just for weeks, but you're doing your best to follow. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about growing every day and having a heart to be more like Christ. When that starts to happen, there eventually comes a level where you see because you've been faithful. The, the very word faithful has time and, and, and a season attached to it, not seconds and minutes. 
It's months and years. When you show yourself faithful, he will show up in an amazingly faithful way to you. He's completely faithful, but he'll put a touch on your life. To those with integrity, you show integrity, it says. God help us to be people who are faithful so he can do all he wants to do in us and through us to influence others. Second thought about faithfulness today. We need to seek God's direction for our lives. You need to seek God's direction for your life. You can't be faithful to the direction God wants you to go if you don't know which direction it is. Psalm 37, 23 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. So think about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you know you're the godly. And he wants to direct your steps. He delights in every detail of their lives. Okay, think about that for a moment. God is interested in every little detail of your life. What? That'll change the way you think and you pray right there. He's concerned about your little toddler and, and their potty training. Every little detail. He's, he's concerned uh, about that relationship at work, that the dynamic's not good. They don't like you or you're struggling with them. He's concerned about that. He wants to bless you and help you with that. And when we understand this and we start to pray, Lord, help me, he'll direct us to paths that will bring healing. You might be having trouble with the friend. You might be ticked off at them. And you might not do the right thing if you did it on your own, but if you know the Lord's involved and wants to be involved in help and you pray, he'll give you just the right thing and it might be to soften your heart, to reach out in love. It might be just the opposite of what you're thinking. But he's concerned about every little detail. We need to ask God what his will is concerning his gifts and his designs that have been placed in us. What I mean by that is you've already been wired a certain way. I've seen people go a wrong life direction because there's something they really want, they like the idea of, they're following an American philosophy that says, go for what you want, and if you work with all your heart, you'll get it. Well, that's not necessarily biblical. Biblical is go for what God wants, and when you follow him faithfully, you'll get it. It's a little different. And so, so God's wired you a certain way. If you say, I'm gonna do this, when he didn't gift you to do that, all you're gonna find is frustration, and it doesn't work, and it's a path that, that is not productive, and at times it can be disastrous. So we have to figure out, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? How have you wired us? How have you gifted us? What have you put in us? One of the ways we discover that is by listening to the people around us and what they say we do well. When you do that, things go well. Where you receive encouragement usually is in a place that is a gift that God has placed in you and when you distribute that gift, others are blessed. And find out how he's wired you. And, and if you don't know, ask him. I, I, um, I wanted to be a great athlete, and, and I, was, I was never that. I was a good athlete. I was a good athlete in, at a small college. But I was never as good as I wanted to be. I pursued that with all my heart and way too much focus. Because I left God behind a little bit in my youth as I pursued it. And so, although I met a measure of success... Although I could even get myself to the point of a scholarship, in the end, it all ended and so my, my world was messed up. The thing that I had pursued, the direction I wanted to go, wasn't happening for me. And then I yielded my life to the Lord somewhere near that time. And as I did, he started to show me what he wanted me to do. He had called me to ministry. 
You can find a degree of success going your own direction, but you'll never find full success and great blessing until you find the perfect will of God for your life. Now, I believe there's a difference between the permissive will and the perfect will of God. Some, some Christians don't believe that, I'll be honest with you. Some people think you just ask God to bless what you're doing and, <clears throat> and, and you know, you'll, you'll get good results. But I believe, and I think I see it here in the scriptures, that God shows us exactly where he wants us to go at times. I don't believe he's mean-spirited. I think you'll still bless things in your life. But there's something about the perfect will of God for your life that yields much more joy, fulfillment, and productivity. Hebrews 11, 8, by faith, when called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, it says that Abraham obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. We need to seek God for the location that he would have us use the gifts that he's given us. For our life direction, am I supposed to be a businessman? Am I supposed to be in the arts? Or am I supposed to be uh, a full-time minister? And, and, then, and then when we find that out, <clears throat> exactly where? Where is it, Lord? Where's the place that you want me to minister? And then when he tells us, we need to focus on that. <clears throat> Years ago, when I first started pastoring this church, I would go out and speak some uh, in other locations. That's what I had done for a number of years, and so I had some key relationships and some opportunities that continued on as I was a pastor, speaking to youth, speaking at conferences and seminars and camps. And I tried that for about a year and a half, but you know what? Even though it was good what I was doing and there were good results out there, it was the enemy of best. Did you know that good could be the enemy of best sometimes? Because what happened was I'd get so tired out there on the road, I'd come back here, I did not have enough energy for everything that was in front of me. I was getting too tired. So I eventually said, listen, God's called me to horizon, to this place, to focus here. I will not be distracted by good, by the good, when I know what God's will is, is best. So I cut that off and started giving my energy to my family here. I didn't even have, you know, sometimes you get so busy doing things you think are good, you don't have energy for your family. Well, that's the first place God wants us to minister, not the last. So I wanted time and energy for you and, and energy for my family, following the will of God. And I love this scripture here about Abraham. Put it up there again if it's not. Hebrews 11, 8. It says that he followed and he obeyed even though he did not know where he was going. Sometimes it doesn't make sense when God says, go this direction. I found out that initially, to me, God's thoughts are not always logical. They're completely logical, always in retrospect. But initially, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. When God says, I want to build a great high school to glorify my name, and I say back to him, but I don't know anything about high school, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, as we see the impact of following, it wasn't just me spoke to you, there was many. Now we see the results of lives saved and people changed and impact and glory to God. But initially, sometimes these things don't, don't, we don't understand them. There's a fellow named Henry Nowen, and he's a famous author. He died about a decade ago. He wrote a book called In the Name of Jesus, and he talks about something that didn't make sense to him initially in the book. Here's a world-famous Christian author who feels the Lord is, is moving upon him to go live in a house that helps the mentally handicapped. With all that he's accomplished, he's 
feeling that God wants him to go live there? Here's the account of this. He said that as he moved in, because he followed. And now and says, the first thing that struck me when I came to live in a house with mentally handicapped people was that their liking or disliking me had absolutely nothing to do with any of my many useful things that I had done. Since nobody could read my books, the books could not impress anyone. And since most of them never went to my school, or went to school rather, my 20 years at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard didn't provide a significant introduction to the mentally handicapped. My considerable ecumenical experience proved even less valuable, he says. When I offered some meat to one of the assistants during dinner, one of the handicapped men said to me, don't give him meat, he doesn't eat meat, he's a Presbyterian. He lives in the community. All of those things of uh, prestige are stripped from him. They don't matter that because the person in front of them, all that matters to them is, are you nice to me? And he starts to see the facade uh, uh, of, of pride and, and even relevance that, that is spoken of in the world because to the mentally handicapped, relevant is, do you love me? The question they would most often ask him is, are you home tonight? That's all that mattered to them. Eventually, he becomes friends with some of these mentally handicapped people as he serves them and walks among them. And he starts taking one of them with him every every time he ministers somewhere. And this is an account of a fella that went with him to do ministry together named Bill. Here's what Henry says about that account. At that moment, I still didn't know what doing it together with Bill would mean. I opened that meeting by saying that I had not come alone, but was very happy that Bill, my friend, had come with me. Excuse me. Then I took my handwritten text and began my address. At that moment, I saw that Bill had left his seat. He walked up to the podium and planted himself right behind me. Now, this is a mentally handicapped man, Bill. It was clear that he had a much more concrete idea about the meaning of doing it together than I. Each time I finished reading a page, he took it away and put it upside down on a small table close by. I felt very much at ease with this and started to feel Bill's presence and support. But Bill had more in mind, he says. When I began to speak about the temptation to be relevant, he interrupted me and said loudly for everyone to hear, I've heard that before. He had indeed. And he just wanted the priests and ministers who were listening to know that he knew me quite well and was familiar with my ideas. For me, however, it felt like a gentle, loving reminder that my thoughts were not as new as I wanted my audience to believe. Bill's intervention created a new atmosphere in the ballroom, lighter, easier, and more playful. Somehow Bill had taken away the seriousness of the occasion and brought to it some homespun normality. As I continued my presentation, I felt more and more that we were indeed doing it together, and it felt good. He feels a call to go to this home for mentally handicapped. As he's there, the Lord teaches him profound truths about his word and relationships. And he writes a book titled, In the Name of Jesus. 
Now, I will tell you that I have, I have friends who read this book every year just to, just to try to keep their heart in the right place. It's a little bitty book that's impacted hundreds and thousands of people and, and tens of thousands of ministers. And it came out of his experience of being faithful to go to a place that didn't seem to make sense to him at the time. And God has used it in an incredible way. Doesn't that just sound like God, that he would use things like that to confound the believers? Isaiah 48, 17, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. So we seek his will for our lives, his direction. What is it you want us to do? And we follow, and there's great impact. I mentioned it early, but the permissive will of God can be good, yet it's the perfect will of God that's always best. The permissive will of God can be good, but the perfect will of God is always best. You say, well, it's kind of ethereal to say, God, what do you have for me? How do I figure all that out? I mean, I can't open the Bible and it says, you know, go to Albany or go to the mentally handicapped house. I'll just tell you this. It's pretty simple. If you'll just get in a habit of, make it a point, get in the journey by saying, Lord, show me your will. Show me what you want for my life and I'll follow. And then be ready. It will not be a giant leap ever. It'll be the next step. That's just the way God does it. Quite often, he'll give you a sense of what the end is, but he'll never show you what the whole journey is because there's a lot that you and I have to learn on the journey. It's not just about the end result. It's about the journey. It was about the journey with Henry Nouwen. And so we start taking the steps. And I believe, you know, what is, what is faith? You've heard my definition of faith. It's one foot in front of the other when God points the direction. It's right foot, left foot. Right foot, left foot towards what God is saying. It's usually not some sensational overnight impact. Now, I want to I stop and talk to the, to the youth here. Sing, single, single youth, predominantly some of these students over here in this area. Would you dream a big dream for God? Do you know the problem with adults is we've been beaten down by life quite a bit. And so when God speaks a big direction, quite often because we don't want to be in financial trouble again, we don't want someone mad at us, and, and, and we just don't want the hassle. We won't do it. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Life beats us down sometimes. But youth, there's something in you that can still believe God can do it. David slew the giant at 15 years old. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was about 16 when God chose her. Dream a big dream for God. When God puts something in your heart, move towards it. It will not be dynamic on the first and second steps. But I believe that God will raise youth up out of this church and this high school to change the world, to change the nation, to believe God for great things, to trust him. And if you will seek his direction for your life and when you get a sense of it, if you'll start to follow, I promise you life will be an exciting adventure for you. Sometimes we create our own little world and we keep it safe. We don't want to believe God for more because it might create some hassles for us. There's a movie called Truman, The Truman Show, which I, uh, I like the movie. 
in it, he's trapped in this little world that seems good for a long while. But beyond it is a whole new world and a great adventure that he hasn't yet discovered. Take a look at this video and you'll catch a, uh, the thoughts of what I'm trying to speak here. We can create a safe little world for ourselves and it'll be okay, but through the door of seeking God's will for direction, if we'll live by faith, beyond that door is a great adventure. You see, when I answered God's call to preach the word, to follow him, I found the greatest fulfillment that I just, I never knew that following in that path would bring such blessing to my life. And I believe that if, if you'll trust God for direction that, he'll gives you, that he gives you, you'll find a great adventure that's well beyond what you now know. Matthew 6.10, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, and that includes our lives. That leads me to the third thought I have for you concerning leading by faith, and it's this. Believe that God will accomplish all he leads you to do. I want to qualify, qualify that for just a moment in this way. There are some people who believe that you just speak to God any thought you have in your head, and if you have faith, he'll give it to you. God is the big candy man in the sky. Just takes faith. Well, here's the problem with that kind of faith. Candy is not good for you to eat all the time. I don't believe the key is for you to tell God what to do. I believe the key to faith is for you to discover what he's calling you to do and then lean into it. See, it's not my will be done and I'm gonna direct you to do my will with my prayers. It's your will be done. And I, did, did you know prayer is more about discovering than telling God? It's more about him leading you than you leading him. Yes, he wants to do great and mighty things, but let him speak to us about what those things are. And then when we get on the thing he's called us to do, then we need to believe that he'll accomplish it because it's his work. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hebrews 11.6, this is the, known as the faith chapter, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So he's powerful. God is so powerful, we must realize how amazing he is. Years ago, when God had spoken to us to come into the, the new place that he was calling us to, part of it included, you know, not only starting the high school, but expanding the campus and the ministries of this church. So we were looking for a new site. God had spoken and we started looking. A, a, a million dollar matching pledge was put on the table for us to start with. Pastor John and I, I still remember this vividly. We would go outside the city limits of Tualatin because we couldn't be in this inside the city limits according to the rules. And we were traveling all over these back roads through the country looking in Wilsonville, Tualatin, Tigard area. And we'd see pieces of property and we'd start checking into them. You know what we were doing? We were walking by faith. God had told us that he wanted to do something. We didn't have enough money, but we believed if that's what God wanted, that he would show himself. So we started moving. And then one day we received a call from a man who said, hey, I want to donate some acreage, 40 acres. John and I went to see him. It was so exciting. We left there. I, I was so up that day. I tell people I could hunt ducks with a rake. I was so high. And, and, and I remember coming home and telling Karen, my wife, honey, God's done it. God's done it. And then we went into a fundraising mode to try to uh, gather funds to, to, to build the thing that the Lord had called us to do. You know, you look at that map up there and you see we have one building and all the possibilities that could happen and you say, you know, it's not about buildings. Well, absolutely, it's not about buildings. It is about places to facilitate ministry though. So, so it's facilities and what do they facilitate? Ministry. And so God's given us this big dream. One business book says, big, audacious, hairy goal that they encourage people. Well, this is different. This is big and audacious, but it, it, it was more about what he was leading us to do. So we, we head towards this fundraising. The land has been donated, and, and suddenly I get a call just a week before our first fundraising banquet with leadership. We had a leadership banquet just a few days before. And the man that had donated the land cussed me out on the phone, said, you'll never get this land, slammed down the phone, and that was it. Now, we're just a few days away. People know, you know, I've already spoken that the land's been donated. Just a few days away from a fundraising banquet? The temptation was not, not to speak at Sunday to see if we could get it back before before we knew, but because the banquet was there, integrity demanded that I say something just a few days before that fundraising banquet came. So I got up and I read a letter. I remember I wrote it down so I would say it just right. I wanted to be careful. How many of you were in that meeting and remember me reading that letter? Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, when I first heard that guy wasn't gonna give, was, had yanked the land back, I went to my bedroom, shut off all the lights and laid there on the bed and it was like the devil came and laid on my chest. And he started saying things like this to me. Now you've done it. You've got these people all excited. God's not in this. I mean, just, I mean, you know, the devil's the accuser. And I was battling. Did you know that my feelings 
weren't, uh, uh, I wasn't feeling good at that moment. I'll say it that way. But you know, you shouldn't let faith follow your feelings. You have to make your feelings follow faith. If God had spoken and it was God's direction, then God would do it. But I wrestled in prayer for about three hours in the darkness of my bedroom. And when I came out of there, although I still felt pressure, I just had a sense that God was still going to do it. I got up and I read that letter on Sunday morning and said, I don't exactly know why, but that guy's not going to give the land. He's pulled it back. And then at the end of my letter, I read something similar to this. I know this is hard to hear, but I believe someday this will be just a blip on the screen. That was the exact words there. Because God is still going to do it. We went into that fundraising banquet, though that was a great discouraging moment, or could have been. A million and a half dollars was pledged by the people of this church who are in leadership. The rest of the church, when we came before them, matched it with another million and a half. Three million dollars was raised. Another three million came outside. And we eventually... And I just saw the brother in this meeting who called me and, and said, uh, someone wants to sell some land and it's, it's across the street from Tualatin City Limits. Do you want to see him? And I said, today. He said, can't be today. I said, well, tomorrow, as soon as possible. Went to see him and we were able to buy for $50,000 an acre, 40 acres. The irony of it all is that that money, the pledges that came forward, is, that's how we were able to secure that land. The land that was donated and pulled back, we found out later, was not completely owned by the man who donated, and that was why he was ticked off. He was farming a portion of it and felt like it would come into his control, but we were jumping the gun to him. So he didn't have the land, he pulled it back, that's why he was mad it wasn't his. But the irony is, it's the very same land that he said he was going to give us that we're on today that we purchased. God was leading us to show us the location even though there was a lot of junk that was wrapped around it that we were trying to figure out. And eventually we landed in the same spot that we thought was such a perfect location. Believe that God will accomplish what he leads you to do. Take it to your life. What is it? Because some of you know he's spoken something to you. There's a dream that's in you that's been planted by him. Don't give up on it. Keep moving. Make your feelings follow faith. Yes, it's a matter of timing. Yes, it's a matter of his will in his way. But remember, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now here's the deal. I can ask and think of a lot. Now put, put the picture back, back up there for, for just a moment. Yeah, yeah this slide. If you see, see the horseshoe uh, of the three buildings at the top of the screen, the, the far right of the three is the building that we now occupy. Someday we believe that these schools and these ministries are going to be expanded well beyond where we're at. Now here's the deal. I don't need that to happen tomorrow because one of the things that I've discovered is I want his timing. You miss his timing, you miss his will. I believe with all my heart that we're going to see something rise up that will blow us away in 20 or 30 years here. I don't know if it's all going to happen in my lifetime, but I believe it's going to happen. All I'm supposed to do is start by faith and keep moving. And, and for some of you, joining with this great dream that the Lord has given is, is part of what the Lord's called you to do for your ministry. I mean, we're just going to join together, but, and we're going to see great things happen for the Lord through the years with the church and the schools. For others of you, it has nothing to do with the schools here, and that's cool, or the church. 
Some of you are gonna go from this place to do ministry way beyond what we could ever accomplish. Just like those 100 missionaries that came out of Albany, you're gonna be a missionary. I believe that some of you, including the youth here, have unique calls. Some of you would be politicians that, that, that come from the schools. You see, God's up to something that's way bigger than we ever think about or even believe for. He's infinitely more powerful. Some will be recording artists from the youth. That I, re- I really believe it. And they're gonna have a heart to follow Jesus with their whole gift. Some will be actors and actresses. You say, are you prophesying? I don't know if I'll go that far, but I really believe that there's great impact coming on the culture of America because of this church and its ministries. That's wild, isn't it? But I don't have that faith in me to do that. I have faith in God to do it. I believe that there are gonna be athletes that make such a difference in the world of athletics that move into professional athletics. I believe that there'll be coaches. I believe on every realm that God is doing something. I believe that some of the people who are saved here will rise up to be some of the pastors in this church and churches beyond. We've already seen those kind of things happen. Well, will you believe him for what he's placed in your heart? If he's put it there, you have the faith. You have the trust to believe that he'll accomplish what he's leading you to do. It's hard to make that leap initially though sometimes, isn't it? I remember the first time I stood before the church to share the big, hairy, audacious dream of a new campus and acreage. And when I, when I first shared what it was going to cost and that we needed to believe the Lord for it, I could literally hear a, a, an out loud gasp. It was a small one, but it was like a collective <gasps> when, the, when it was spoken. And you know what? Courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the overcoming of it. You will have no idea how much I've had to overcome fear to speak some of these things to you in the past decade. You probably, you probably have never thought about it, but let me tell you, along the way I've said, God, are you sure it's me? Because, you know, if it's somebody else, you want to lead this and it's all up to you. I could step aside. I, 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 some ways I don't feel worthy to do any of this. But God's so loving and so reassuring. He always lets me know and he'll let you know. It's, it, he, he really can go way beyond who you are to accomplish what he wants to do. He's not limited to my gifts and your gifts. If we'll walk towards what he's saying, he will bring it to pass. If we'll live faithfully and walk towards what he's saying, he will bring it to pass. Andy Stanley talks about making that jump. In his book, Visioneering, Andy, who's a pastor, tells a story about his son climbing up on a brick wall, starting just a few feet down, winding up to the top of it, where he's up about five feet high. And I'll start it there. He says, by the time he reached the highest five-foot section of the wall, I could tell his confidence and bravado were waning. He walked almost the entire length of the wall before he finally looked down at me and said, Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. You ever felt like that? Immediately, I stretched out my arms and said, jump. He looked at the wall, then he looked down at me, then he looked back at the wall, and down at me again, he bent his knee slightly and said, are you gonna catch me? To which I responded, no, I'm going to move at the last minute and let you fall to the ground. (laughs) Just kidding. Yes, Andrew, 
I will catch you. Without another moment of hesitation, he says, he jumped into my arms. When I started to put him down, he clung to my neck so that I stood there holding him for a few precious, insightful seconds. When he jumped, he was still very much afraid. But his confidence in me was stronger than his fear of jumping. You know where we're going with this, don't you? He honored me with his act of courage. There was never any question as to whether I could or would catch him. The issue was whether his confidence in me would supersede his fear. It did. And in that moment, I experienced in a small way, Andy Stanley says, what our father experiences when we act on our faith in spite of our feelings and surroundings. So I would say to you, what's the dream that God has given you? What's the direction he's asking you to take steps in? Where is God asking you to jump and take a leap of faith? Believe that he'll accomplish it. He'll accomplish what he's given you to do. Romans 4.18, again Abraham, I'll close with this scripture. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and, Sarah's, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Abraham believed even though he couldn't see. God said that way and I will do this and he moved and believed and God accomplished what he'd given him to do. I believe he'll do that for you.